Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. Every now and then I, I preach a sermon that's kind of a conglomeration of events that has happened in my life. Uh, and lately that has been thinking about communication. And the title of tonight's lesson is Speak and Be Heard. Uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, I've kind of made it my task this year to try to read at least three books a month. And that, that's kind of my, 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 what I'm trying to do, whether that be audio books, which is a whole lot easier for me, or sitting down and reading a book. One of the audio books I listened to recently was a book called Talking with Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell, which was about the most depressing thing I've read in a few years, because basically the whole premise of the book is that we are completely, as a people, deficient at talking to strangers, at being able to read their body language and just the principles of communication and how all of that works. You add that together with a presentation that I heard recently where we were uh, hearing about how to, you know, how communication works, how the brain works, how we talk to people and how that engages their brain and just thinking about things like that, uh, this just the, the way you approach people. And then you add to that the question that I've always had every single time we go through the kings and you go through the prophets where you've got a long list of people who did a lot of speaking and who weren't heard. And what was it that caused them not to be heard? You add that to local news stories. For instance, it just came out today. So, uh, I, I don't know the details of the, of the situation, but a church up in British Columbia that was uh, police walked into today and told them they weren't allowed to meet anymore and basically broke up their congregation's worship today, a, a church of Christ up there. Uh, you, you look at all of that, you look at the way Facebook has happened over the past year where a lot of people have had a lot to say and how much convincing have we done? Probably very little. Uh, anything we say on Facebook or any sort of social media I'll be honest, that is not the place to go to speak and be heard. That is the place to go speak and just speak some more no matter who's listening. That, that, I mean, that, that's kind of the way our world is working right now. And so I wanted to talk for a few minutes tonight about some communication issues and what the Bible says about that. And part of this is in preparation for my sermon next week. We have a singing next Sunday night. But next Sunday morning, I'm going to do another one of those question and answer uh, lessons. Uh, I was asked over a year ago, uh, how do you speak to and talk to and convince and share the truth with someone who has chosen an alternative lifestyle? Uh, how do you approach those difficult situations with people who are very clearly walking a different path than you are? And so this lesson is in some ways a preparation for that lesson next week. Well, God's people have had a history of speaking to deaf ears. And I don't know if that's by design. You know, God himself admits that he chose for himself 
a stubborn and obstinate people. That's who God chose as his people. And I was always told as a kid who was very stubborn, stubbornness is not bad as long as you are stubborn about the right thing. But the problem is God's people through history have been stubborn about the wrong things, about sinful things, about their idols, which is part of what we're talking about in our classes on Sunday morning and Wednesday night, where we're looking at these people. And for instance, today we talked about Jehu, who did an outstanding job. It says he eradicated Baal from Israel. And that's impressive to see what he was able to accomplish. But the reason that's so impressive is because the people had so stubbornly held on to their idols, no matter what prophet had come to them and told them that what they were doing was wrong. And we just recently talked about Elijah and his great triumphant victory there on Mount Carmel and the fire coming down out of heaven and consuming the altar. But then immediately after that, because of the stubbornness of Jezebel and her threat, Elijah ran and hid at Mount Horeb where he hid in a cave and God had to come and more or less pull him out of his solitude. Why, why was Elijah able to go and do such an amazing display of power on God's behalf, God showing himself to the people in a sense, and yet the people still wouldn't listen? We're going to talk soon about Jeremiah, who, who was told before he even gave his message, these people will not listen to you. Ezekiel, same thing. Uh, he got discouraged after delivering a message that he knew nobody was going to listen to. He was warned that nobody was going to listen to it, and yet he still was expected to deliver the message. Jonah had the opposite effect. Jonah didn't want the people to listen to his message, but they did. What's the difference? Why is Jonah able to go into a city that he didn't even want to go to and my guess is deliver a half-hearted message because his message was about four words long, all we have of it, and nobody listened. I mean, in that case, everyone listened, but when you get to Jeremiah and Ezekiel, nobody listened. Church says we've all had those moments, have we not? Well, we've gone out there and we've tried to talk about good things We've tried to share people good information. We've tried to back up our information with good factual articles. And yet nobody wants to listen. Everybody's concerned about their side. They're not concerned about truth. How do you break through the task of speaking to stubborn people who don't want to listen? And I'll be honest, a lot of us are to the point to where we just assume people aren't going to listen. And so we've quit even talking about the message. And, and again, this, this applies not just with evangelism, although I think it's very easy to see the application there. But this applies in all manners of life. How do you talk to somebody about an issue like abortion 
when you know they have their mind made up about what they believe is right, or they are more allegiant to a political party that's supportive of it than, than they are actually willing to discuss the actual issue. How do you break through on that? How do you break through with, with a friend of yours who has decided he wants to move in with his girlfriend and, and he wants to go ahead and just throw his life that direction? How do you convince him when he's so emotionally tied to this course of action that he needs to stop and listen and reconsider? How do you get your spouse to listen when you know they need to or at least you want them to. Most of us have just gotten to the point to where we've quit trying. We've experienced so much stubbornness. We've experienced people who are so unwilling to even consider that there's another point of view that we just don't even try anymore. And unfortunately, as difficult as that is to hear when it comes to important issues like abortion, and moral decisions of our friends and family, I think we've made the same decision when it comes to evangelism. We've convinced ourselves that the world around us is either okay where they are because they are good people, or they're bad people and they're not going to listen anyway. And so we've quit talking about the gospel, and we've quit sharing the truth, and we've quit attempting to be heard, well, I'm not okay with that. Partly because it's my job not to be okay with that, that. I get up on a weekly basis and I speak, and I want to, when I speak, be heard. I don't know that I always am, but you keep trying. But these are the five steps I think you can go through in order to try to speak and be heard. First one is find or create your audience. Find or create your audience. Here's what I mean by that. Over in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells several parables. And here he gives an explanation that's somewhat odd as to why he tells parables in the first place. His disciples ask him, why are you talking in parables? And he says, because, this is verse 11, because the secret of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you to know, but it has not been given to them. For whoever has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. That is why I speak to them in parables, because looking they do not see, hearing they do not listen or understand. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them, which says you will listen and listen, but never understand. You will look and look, but never perceive. For this people's heart had grown callous, the ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn back, and I would heal them. Blessed are your eyes, because they do see and your ears because they do hear. Do you see what he says there? There are some people who will not listen. Absolutely. But there are some people who will. And we need to spend our time working on the people 
who will. I think sometimes we get so discouraged with our messages that we know are right messages. They're full of truth. But we feel like nobody's listening to them because we're spending our time delivering our message to the wrong people. Let me relate this to evangelism. We we have a habit through the years of impersonalizing the gospel. What I mean by that is we have, we have through the years started to do more mass marketing efforts, advertising efforts, just trying to get the message out there. The problem is where we're sharing that message is in a world that is no longer interested. Do you know who's interested in the gospel? People who are going through change are people who are going through pain. That's where the gospel works. The problem is we don't want people going through change and pain because they typically come with baggage. They typically come with problems. And if we go out there and we start knocking on the doors of those who are destitute and they're desperate, well, then they bring their desperation into us, into our group, and that creates a lot of work. And so what we typically do is we share our message with a world of people who don't think they need our message. And we leave untaught the world that actually wants the message. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus went to the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the forsaken and the forbidden. He went to the people who were, uh, lepros- had leprosy and were blind. He went to the people who had problems because those were the people looking for solutions. When we spend our time mass broadcasting truth on Facebook, you know what? Nobody listens. But if we would spend our time giving our message one-on-one to people who need it, who are looking for it, I guarantee you they'd listen. It's all about finding the people who are willing to listen. I mean, even Jesus himself, when he sent his disciples out to go out and minister, you look back in Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 11, when you enter any town or village, find out who is worthy and stay there until you leave. Greet a household when you enter it, and if the household is worthy, let your peace be on it, but if it is unworthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone does not welcome you or listen to your word, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Even Jesus said, you're going to go out there and you're going to have a message of truth and you want to share that with people and there are going to be people who are willing to receive it and then there are going to be people who aren't. Quit worrying about the people who don't want to hear it. Move on. Shake the dust off your sandals. Move to the next town. That's what we need to do sometimes. 
we need to realize sometimes that people, even when they receive it, are going to eventually reject it. Um, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you've got that exact scenario being worried about. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 10, According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay on any other foundation than that which has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. What Paul's saying here is, you know, there are people who are going to be taught, and they're going to respond, and they're going to become a Christian, and some of those who become Christian are going to walk firmly with the Lord, and they're going to be tested by the trials of life, and some of those who are tested are going to stand firm with God, and some of those who are tested are going to be burned up. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Just keep building. Don't worry that them falling away is a bad reflection on you. Just, just keep building. Keep sharing the message with people who are wanting to hear it. But you've got to share it with people who want to hear it. That's the first step. Second step is have something needing to be said. Jesus, over in Matthew chapter 12, talks about idle words that will be judged for every idle word. I, I worry about that sometimes. I don't know about you, but I have a feeling when, when I get to heaven, it's going to be my idle words that get me in more trouble than, than anything else. It, 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 we, we get into the habit of wrangling about words, arguing. You know, Paul warns Timothy about that. He warns Timothy again about that in both letters. He warns Titus about that. The fact that they would argue about genealogies or maybe heritage. We argue it sometimes. We don't argue about genealogies, but do we argue about denominational heritage sometimes? Yeah. They would argue about what words mean, don't mean, and how you can make, you know, kind of justify your own position based on the, the, a new definition. We do that sometimes. And honestly, we get ourselves in more trouble from that. I find it hilarious when I see, uh, not hilarious, I find it sad when I see Christian starting to pull out the Greek and Hebrew when they've had absolutely no training in Greek and Hebrew because the only reason to do that is to wrangle about the definitions of words and that's dangerous it's dangerous to do that you know I I, I wouldn't do that about Russian I wouldn't do that about any other language because I'm not familiar enough with the language I don't know how the words are used. I don't know how the, the, the syntax changes things. I don't know how the way it's used in a sentence identifies exactly what the word is talking about and which adjective goes with which noun and the antecedent 
tense and all of that kind of stuff if I haven't studied the language. I can't just look up in a dictionary and say, here's what it means. It doesn't work that way. Do, do we in English use the same word for entirely different meanings? Yeah, all the time. Uh, you know, I, I always use this as an illustration. If I say, give me a hand, what do I probably mean by that? Help. Unless I'm a surgeon and there's literally a hand on the table over there that I'm reattaching to a guy's arm, and I say, hey, give me a hand. And now the nurse that's standing there with me has to decide, does he want help or does he really want the hand? I mean, we, we use expressions in different ways, words in different ways. If I say have a ball, if I'm holding a ball, you know what I mean. If I'm waving goodbye, you know what I mean. But I can use that same phrase I, to, to mean a, dozens of different things. And the same is true of Greek and Hebrew and any other language. I, I think we've got to be careful that we don't sit around arguing about words when we really don't know what we're arguing. All we know is what we've read in an article or read in a concordance or a Bible Dictionary, be, be careful about that. I love Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Turn with me there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. I'll be honest, if we would follow this verse, if this were our go-to decision-making verse before we ever said anything, it would solve nearly all of our communication issues. All of them. That's what it says. No foul language, we tend to interpret that as cuss words. That, that's not really what it means. It, it just means no, I think some of your versions say corrupt communication, right? So just no bad speech. No corrupt communication, foul language, bad speech should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. You say what needs to be said. That's the lesson there. Say what needs to be said. You don't need to go beyond that. You don't need a bunch of idle words. We're already cautioned against that. You don't need a bunch of funny words so that they like you. You don't need to add a whole bunch of extra stuff in there. You just say what needs to be said at the moment. And if you'll do that, you'll do well. Most of the time, our trouble comes not from saying what needs to be said, but for saying what we want to say. And there's oftentimes a wide gap between those two things. Step three, say it how you mean it. Say it how you mean it. If you look back a few verses, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, put away lying speech, or put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Speak truth. Speak the truth with your neighbor. 
Here's where I think that becomes particularly important. Is that what we often will do is that we will find a way to say the right thing, but say it in a way that makes us seem most right. Okay. We, we find a way to twist things in our favor. So we, we won't lie, but we also won't say the truth. We'll kind of find that gray, murky area in the middle where it still works in our favor, but it's not actually true. That's dangerous. I mean, that, that's just dangerous. Very rarely do you ever get in trouble for saying the truth. Just, just the way it works. You, someone might not like the truth, but that doesn't change the fact of what is true. And I think we need to be very aware of that, that the Bible talks a lot about speaking what is right, speaking truth, making sure that what we say, we say because it is what actually needs to be said. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 17, whoever speaks the truth declares what is right, but the false witness speaks deceit. That, that's just the way we should be thinking always. Is what I'm about to say true? If it is, is what I'm about to say needed? Those are the two questions you ask. Is what I'm about to say the truth, and is what I'm about to say needing, needed? If not, you need to stop talking. And that, I think, is James's point over in James chapter 1, verse 19, where he tells us to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I, you should be listening and not talking. And when it is time for you to talk, you should be careful with what you say, not because you want to twist it and make it sound just right for you, but because you've got to ask some questions of yourself. Is what I'm about to say truthful? That's number one. Is what I'm about to say needed? That's number two. We're going to have a number three in just a moment. But sometimes it takes a little bit of thinking to figure out how to say that. It takes a little bit of wisdom. It takes slowing down long enough to make sure to kind of run these tests over your words. Uh, one of the best ways to do that is to always speak the gospel. Because you know what the great benefit of the gospel is? It's always true, and it's always needed. Wouldn't you agree with that? The gospel is something that we can confidently talk about and know it's a good thing to talk about. You don't got to worry about how people are going to receive it because it's something they need to hear anyway. Now, I think you can be abrasive with the gospel. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Uh, but you can always speak the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 17. For we do not market the word of God for profit like so many. On the contrary, we speak with certainty in Christ as from God and before God. Now I want to read that verse again because it's chocked full of wisdom. 
Okay, listen to this verse again. For we do not market the word of God for profit like so many. Listen. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ as from God and before God. We speak with sincerity in Christ. We share the gospel truth. We share the message of Christ with sincerity as if we are standing before God as we talk about it. I've been tempted over the years, especially in light of what I'm going to preach on next week and how to talk to people who have chosen different lifestyles and what scripture tells us we should choose and uh, those types of issues where I've been tempted to kind of back off from the truth a little bit kind of water things down, make them a little more easy to receive when I know that the person I'm talking to is going to be contrary to the truth I'm going to share with them. Now, that might not even just be with some sort of immoral lifestyle. That might be somebody from a different religious tradition where I know they have a certain understanding of truth, and so what I'll do is I'll start trying to get clever, and I'll start maybe trying to bridge some gaps for them and, and go, well, you know, we're not really that far off here. And, and then I'll start trying to uh, turn things a certain way to make the, you know, the, the square peg fit in the round hole. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know what's interesting about that? If I were standing before God giving a presentation of the gospel, would I do it that way? Would I? I can guarantee you I wouldn't. If I'm standing before God and God is my audience, God's sitting there watching what I do and how I say it, I'm going to say it as exactly matching Scripture as I can say it because I want to be true and honest and right in the way that I handle the truth. We need to get in the habit of saying things the way we mean them not saying things the way we want them to receive it. Do you see the difference there? And that's true in all communication, not just evangelism. In all those scenarios I gave earlier, sometimes you just say it how it is, not in an ugly way. You just say it in a way that that nobody has to question whether what you're saying is the right answer or whether it is something that you're you're unsure about. I am so guilty about this. Uh, let me give you a for instance, just because it steps on my toes. Last Sunday, I told Jeff Armstrong that I would bring his dehumidifier back to him, and I didn't do it. This morning, I told him I'd bring it tonight. I still didn't do it. Much, I need to drive it to his house tomorrow, just so you know, I mean, I mean it, it, my wife will hold me to it. That's why I say it that way. How many of us do that? How many of us say, this is the way it's going to happen, but then when it really comes down to it, that's not the way it happens at all? Because we're not being honest. We're not saying what we really mean. We're, not, we're, we're saying what we know they want to hear, but it's not necessarily what we're really committed to. 
I think we need to be very careful about that. That demolishes your reputation in that other person's eyes. And we need to be cautious. The next step is to reflect your message. Whatever you say needs to reflect reality. For instance, bringing a man's dehumidifier back to him. That's one way. Psalm 25, verses 8 through 10. The Lord is good and upright. Therefore, he shows sinners the way. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches them his way. All the Lord's ways show faithful love and truth to those who keep his covenant and decrees. We should be the kind of people, if we're following the Lord's way, if we're following the Lord's example, if we're trying to be like our Lord is, we are going to be people who reflect what is honest and good and true. We are going to be people of our word. We're going to be people who, when people hear us speak, they know that what we said is good as gold. And I I can't honestly say that about myself. It's amazing how easily we fall short of that. Psalm 15, verse 2. The one who lives blamelessly practices righteousness and acknowledges the truth in his heart. What is it that Jesus says? The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. For the evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. That's what the psalmist here is saying. You want to be blameless, you want to live righteously, you you have to acknowledge the truth that's in your heart. So if I'm saying that a certain way to live is the only way to live, then I have to myself live that way. And I worry about that sometimes. I worry about whether I live up to the expectation that God has of me and the expectation that I have created in my world that people have of me. I, I, I don't know that I do. I hope I do. I, I worry that, that people are going to see me not as someone who encourages and lifts up, but as someone who, who is always complaining and having a problem with stuff. That reflects my heart. I mean, that's exactly the way we we think of people. Have you ever had the experience where you you know somebody on a personal level, not real well, but you kind of have a general sense of who they are, and then you see them on Facebook and you go, that is not what I expected to come from him or her. That, that doesn't match what I thought of them at all. But because of their words, even typed out words, you all of a sudden, your entire perspective of who they are has changed because they have presented themselves to be with their words. Anybody had that experience? Yeah. Anybody been guilty of creating that experience for people? <laughs> I'm sure I have. 
if we want to be taken seriously as people of God, if we want to be taken seriously in our relationships, in our marriages, in our, in our business, and wherever it is, then your words have to reflect your character. Because when there's a disconnect there, people don't know what to do with you. They don't consider you a sincere person, and they hold you at arm's length. And they're never going to listen to what you have to say. But when your words match everything they know about you, and they know you're a good person, and you're honest, and you care about others, and you're always willing to serve others, when, when that's their perspective of you, and then they hear you talk, and they, they, that's just reinforced by the way you talk, and then the way you live, that reinforces the way you talk, it creates this sense of trust in you where they will listen to everything you have to say. character has to reflect your message. Last step is build instead of destroy. Build instead of destroy. A lot of passages that deal with this, you know, where they're told in Thessalonica that they should encourage one another even more as they're already doing we're told in Hebrews 10 to stir one another up to love and good works and assembling with one another, uh, encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. And then we go back to the part of Ephesians 4, verse 29 that I didn't dwell on earlier, where it says that your speech should give grace to those who hear it. Should be a gift. That should be my goal every time I speak. There are certain people in my life that I can identify every time I talk to them, I feel better when we're done. And not because they've never had something uh, negative to say and not because they've never confronted me about something that I needed to hear, but even when they've had to confront me, I know they have confronted me from a place of love and consideration and they want me to be better and they want to help me and I don't have any doubt of that whatsoever because of the relationship we have before they confronted me. But they encourage and they give gifts with the way they speak. And if not a how you doing, good, good, I'll see you next week. I call that Howdy doody, Christianity, y'all heard me refer to that before. I, I honestly picture a lot of uh, uh, church relationships. Remember the old Looney Tunes cartoon uh, where you had the big rooster, and I forget, I think it was uh, uh, the, the coyote. Y'all, anybody know what I'm talking about? And they clock in and out, and they're like, how you doing, Sam? Doing good, Bob. See you later, Sam. See you later, Bob. That, that's like, I, I don't know if it's Sam and Bob, but that, that's kind of how our coming and going sometimes the church is, or our relationships with people. That kind of relationship, you're never going to be heard in that kind of relationship. You're never going to be listened to. They're never going to have to be concerned about what your opinion is and why you believe the way you believe and whether they should consider believing the same way you do or listen when you're trying to share with them some truth that they need to hear. That only comes from building a relationship of gift-giving speech. You want to be heard? Start giving gifts. The free gifts that come from encouraging others. 
That's the way to be heard. That's how to, and, and I don't say this the way, it, I don't mean this the way it's going to come across, so I guess I should say what I mean, right? I mean, that was step number three. But that's how you build an audience. Not that we're trying to get people to follow after us, but you are trying to build an environment in your world in which you can be an influencer for good, for God, for others. The way to do that is to give gifts every day with your speech. I've thought about this a good bit. I don't know that I do it well. But I've determined I'm going to start doing something that, that I've never done before. Okay? I had a gentleman in my life that years ago, he told me he always, every day, keeps a $5 bill in his wallet because he looks all day long for an opportunity to give that $5 bill away to somebody who needs it. It might be buying somebody's coffee. It might just be somebody he sees that, that doesn't, you know, forgot to bring their lunch to work, so he'll go take care of their lunch. But he finds some way to give a gift, in his case, monetarily, because he, that was a way he could do it. But he determines every day to give that $5 bill away or to do something in, in lieu of that $5 bill. I want to start doing that, but with my words. Because I can't afford to give $5 bills away every single day. I just, I, I can't afford it. I've got too many mouths to feed in my house. But I can give gifts of words that cost nothing. And it comes in a lot of different forms, just like the $5 deal did for this friend of mine. It, it might be me sitting down in the morning. I get up plenty early. I could sit down and write a card to somebody and send it. I could do it every day. Nothing's stopping me from doing that. There's nothing stopping me from somebody I could call in my commute from one place to another and having a short conversation with them just to build them up. Just to say, okay, hey, I was thinking about you just this morning and I, I had this, uh, this memory of this experience we had together and that just made me love you so much. And that'd be the conversation. I could even leave that on somebody's voicemail and it would take all of a minute and a half. But could that make a difference? Yeah. That might not be your cup of tea. You're, you're not a phone talker. You're not someone who likes to, to do that kind of thing. Shoot an email. Shoot a text. Find some way to build someone up every single day. I guarantee you, you do that enough days in a row, your circle of influence around you will change. People will start responding to you differently than they ever have before. They will start listening when you speak. Not because they know it's not going to be something else, some other complaint, some other argument, some other uh, uh, disagreement, but hey, you know, Steve said this nice thing about me last week. Maybe he's going to say something nice again, right? I mean, people are that way. We all need to do that more. We, as Christians, have been called to be influencers. 
And if that simple little change in my life can create an environment and an opportunity to influence the world around me, why wouldn't I do it? My favorite example of this type of speaking, this being an influential speaker, is Nathan, the prophet. We've got that great story of Nathan with David, how he comes in and he tells uh, this story. He, he knows he's walking into an unwilling audience. Had he walked in and said, David, you're a sinner, how do you think that would have gone? With as stubborn as David was being at that point, it's very possible he would have been thrown in jail or even killed. He had an unwilling audience, but he created the opportunity to be heard. He created his audience. Because he had a message that he knew David needed to hear, a message that God had sent him to give. And so what he did is he didn't hold back. He went in there and he told the story. He told his message with wisdom. He considered, how can I get this message across to a man who is unwilling but needs to hear it? And he found a way. And he built David up. I think Nathan single-handedly saved David at that moment. And what's interesting is down the road, how many times, especially when we were back in our class, did we point out that somebody stepped in and corrected David and David was willing to hear it after that? Because Nathan proved to him that he needed to listen. I love the story of Nathan because he is the greatest example of getting in there and saying what needs to be said with wisdom in a way that it could be heard. Do we need to do that? Do we need to spend a little more time seeking out opportunities to be heard? I, I tell you, it could change from that one little piece of advice that I gave you tonight. Find some way to build somebody up every single day. It'll change everything. God has a message he wants you to hear too. And that, that's one of the reasons I think we need to work so hard to become influencers, to become heard, because we've got a whole world of people around us who need to hear the message. And that message is that God loves you enough to forgive your sins and to make you clean and to bring you home to him. And I hope you're willing to hear that message. There are going to be some in here who are unwilling. I need to find a way to break through those walls with you so that you'll hear the message. And there are some in here who have heard the message, but they've walked away from it. I, I don't know if you're listening tonight, but if you are, fix it. And let us know how we can pray for you and help you and encourage you and uh, stimulate you to love and good works. But no matter where you are, I think we probably all need to hear the message tonight of how to do a better job of being heard in a world that is stubbornly not listening anymore. And maybe tonight's message can be helpful to you. If you need the invitation to get your life right, to become a child of God, to be baptized into Christ, we encourage you to, to let us know how we can help you. Uh, please come forward and let us know as we stand and sing this song. Hosanna, you're my king. Thanks for listening and studying God's word with us. 
We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation, or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.